You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So the Bible reading today is John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30, which I imagine will pop up behind me. So John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Thank you, Tracy. Yes, it's me again. Uh, I'm going to be preaching to us today. Um, as most of you know, Aaron, our other pastor, is on long service leave for many weeks still. And so we're going to be having a number of uh, men from our church congregation who are going to be preaching as we return back to John's Gospel. Now we've done six weeks in Daniel, back in John today, as you figured out by the reading from John. Uh, and so it'll be wonderful to have uh, different men coming to preach uh, up the front here. So please do be, be praying for them as they're preparing uh, for that. Now I'm going to be away for the next two Sundays. So double prayers uh, when Alex and Tim and I kind of we help set up. We're going to be away. Uh, so please make sure you turn up on time and chip in and help out during the holidays. Uh, you'll find online on the welcome card, there's the passage for today. Or you can have your Bible open. On the welcome card's also an outline uh, for today that you might find helpful to follow along with. Uh, Let's pray and ask that God would speak to us today. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this opportunity to come back to John's Gospel. And we pray you'd help us to understand Jesus better so that we can follow him more closely. Amen. It helps to have the light on. Tracy, my wife, tends to go to bed earlier than I do. And so often when I come to bed, I get into my pyjamas, get ready for bed in the dark. And on occasion, I've been known to wake up with my T-shirt on back to front or inside out. Also, I tend to bash and crash around at times and knock things over because it helps to have the light on. Uh, Last week, I had an evening meeting, got in the car, pulled out into the street, started driving, and the car behind me was flashing their lights at me and I couldn't figure out what was going on until I realised I couldn't see the road in front of me because I hadn't put my headlights on yet. It helps to have the light on. My son, Toby, hates going outside at night on his own. Sometimes he goes out to check on the guinea pigs or give them some extra, extra food after dinner. And he asks me to go with him. And I always tell him to be brave and it's okay and there's nobody out there, don't worry. But really, I, I get it. Sometimes I still get a bit scared of the dark. Uh, when I'm, on the rare occasion when I'm home alone at night time and the family's off somewhere else, I have been known to run through the house to my bedroom to turn the light on. It helps to have the light on. The light helps us to to see what's around us, to make sense of our surroundings, puts things into perspective, helps us to make better choices. This is true of physical light, but also of spiritual light. Today we're going to look at John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30, where Jesus had a conversation with some Jews who were in the dark about who he was. And this ignorance revealed that they were actually in the dark about God. Now, you don't want to be in the dark about God, do you? Well, that's why we need this passage. So let's get started by looking at how Jesus is the life-giving light of the world. You'll see in verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is the second of his famous Uh, I am sayings, there are seven in John's Gospel. The first one we've already come across, I'm the bread of life. You might know the other ones. I am the door, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth and the life, I'm the true vine. Each one is a picture of who Jesus is for us. He opens the way to eternal life, to everlasting peace and joy. And that's the case here where Jesus being the light of the world brings us life. Have a look at the full statement in verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Jesus is linking light and life. It's not like he's the torch app on your phone that helps you to find your way up the front steps and into your door at night. Jesus helps people to live well in the world to know how to walk in a way that's good and virtuous. It's about morality, it's living with purpose, knowing the way the world really works. We see this in John's book where Jesus is referred to as the true light and the one who is the light of mankind. And Jesus being the light of the world is also about enabling people to cross from death to life. Listen to Psalm 56 verse 13. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. 
See, the psalmist knows that death means to be cut off from the light of life. But he also knows that true light is found in walking before God. He's the source of light. And to know God is to have the light of life, a life that will never be extinguished. Jesus says that he's the one who brings that life. As he shines light into the world, he gives true light. And his statement's actually made all the more powerful because of the timing of it. You might recall way back when we did John chapter 7 that the Feast of Tabernacles was taking place in Jerusalem. This is when the Jews remembered the time of wandering in the desert after God freed them from slavery in Egypt and they slept in tents and so they would build booths to camp out around Jerusalem for this festival every year. God was present during the time of the wilderness in the pillar of cloud that went with them. By day, it was a swirling column of cloud, and by night, it was a column of fire that protected them. And so during the week-long Feast of Tabernacles, they would light these large, uh, four large golden lamps or candlesticks. They'd be lit each night. They were most likely in the outer court, which was the women's court of the temple. And their light filled that courtyard, but could also be seen all across Jerusalem. This was a reminder of God's presence and his blessing. And here in John 8, Jesus is declaring that he is the light of the world. He's almost certainly standing in that outer courtyard, the women's court, and he's declaring that he's greater than those golden lamps. Just as God was with his people during the wilderness, so too God is with them in Jesus, who brings his glorious presence to the earth to guide and protect his people. Can you see then that Jesus being the light of the world is about knowing the truth about the world, about ourselves and about God so that we can be restored to God and know him personally. So we're going to unpack this as we go along. So Jesus makes this amazing statement and as you might expect, the Pharisees, they challenge him. The interaction that follows helps us to better understand what actually means for Jesus to be the light of the world. So we'll first look at how Jesus defends his claim using three arguments. And then we're going to look at how the Jews reveal what actually looks like to be in the dark. So we'll start with Jesus' defense. In verse 13, the Pharisees say to him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. They understand that Jesus is making a huge claim. And so they're trying to undermine his credibility. They pretty much say, who are you? Why should we believe you just because you say this? Well, you might remember that back in chapter 5, Jesus had already defended his authority by referring to all these kind of external testimonies and witnesses that backed him up. He's taking a different approach here, though. He's saying that, well, he can actually testify about himself if he chooses to, because he is indeed the light of the world who is the source of life-giving light. So he's got three arguments that he uses. We'll look at them one at a time. The first is that Jesus knows his origin and destination. Have a look at verse 14. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. Now he's not referring to his current travel itinerary or to his birthplace because that would be to judge him by human standards. 
He's thinking on a much bigger scale. He is the Word of God who was with God in the beginning and who has come down to earth from heaven and will one day return to heaven. Jesus knows about his birth. He knows about his death. He knows where he's come from and where he's going, which is something that no mere human can do. When you think about it, you don't know about your early years other than what other people have told you. We don't know when we will die and how it will happen, but Jesus knows these facts about himself. And so he is in a place to bear witness about himself. The second argument Jesus makes in his defense is he has God the Father with him, who is in fact a second witness. Look at verses 16 to 18. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So put simply, Jesus is not alone. He has the backing of God the Father. The third argument, which builds on the other two, is that he only speaks and acts the Father's will, as the Father wills. Verses 26 and 28, you can see quickly, Jesus says that his words are exactly what God has told him and taught him. And then down in verse 29, Jesus says that he does only what pleases God. Jesus can speak in his own defense because really what he's saying is actually words from God. In other words, he's not biased. So when you take a step back from this, what Jesus is saying is that he is God in the flesh. He has come from heaven and he'll return to heaven. He has complete unity with the Father and when he speaks and when he acts, it's the same as if the Father is speaking and acting. This close unity means that Jesus is actually God the Son. This is a truth that the Jews simply can't grasp and the rest of this chapter shows how they wrestle with that and that's what the following sermons will unpack for us. What I hope you can see is that Jesus can claim to be the light of the world because he has the right credentials. But the Jews don't get it. And the pushback and the questions that come from them reveal what it means to be in the dark. So we're going to take a look at that. First, it means to judge Jesus from a worldly, fallen perspective. In verse 15, Jesus says, you judge me by human standards. It literally means you judge me by the flesh, which is a way of saying that which is not heavenly and that which is not holy. You see, they're thinking purely on the physical, earthly plane. In verse 23, Jesus says to them, you are from below, but I'm from above. You are from this world. I am not of this world. They only see Jesus as a human and nothing more. They can't fathom that Jesus might have a divine origin. And they're also thinking as fallen humans, as those who are not holy, because they they suppress the truth about God and they set themselves up as the ultimate authority. Their reasoning's been corrupted because of their rebellion against God. They're unholy and unable to judge Jesus from a spiritual perspective. And this is true of people today from all walks of life. I'm sure you'll come across lecturers and academics, politicians, celebrities, bloggers, YouTubers, family, friends, who will speak about Jesus as if he was just a man and could only ever be 
just a man. They can't even entertain the notion that he may be the divine light of the world because they insist on judging him from a worldly, fleshly, human perspective. Maybe they assume that only scientific knowledge is true knowledge and they discount the supernatural out of hand. Now, of course, it would be wrong for us to believe Jesus the light of the world just because he says so in this verse. That's why he gives us evidence. That's why he wants us to use our brains as well. We, we have the book of John with the signs and teachings of Jesus. There's a case being built. To reject this by saying, well, obviously Jesus can't be divine, is to actually be unreasonable. It's to be unscientific. It's to ignore the evidence. And ultimately it stems from a position of having first rejected God. Either consciously or subconsciously, people don't want Jesus to be the light of the world, so they stubbornly resist. That's what it means to be in the dark. Another aspect of being in the dark that the Jews reveal is that it's failed to see that Jesus is the eternal Son who reveals the Father. Kind of a related idea. Jesus twice speaks of God as the Father who sent me. And the Pharisees then ask, well, where's your dad? Like, bring him here, show us Joseph, and we'll confirm what you're saying. And look at how Jesus responds in verse 19. You don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So when asked about his father, why didn't Jesus just make it really help, really clear and obvious for them? Why didn't you just say, guys, I'm talking about God. God is my father. That's who I mean. Well, I suspect that that would be to separate father and son, to say Jesus would be saying, well, I'm just a man and God is my father. He's wanting to say, no, actually, you can't think about one without the other. He's arguing that he's the eternal son of God. He is a divine person, a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has come down from heaven, and due to his unity with the Father, he brings his Father's very presence to the earth. He reveals the Father to those who have spiritual eyes to see the truth. He wants the Pharisees to understand that to truly know Jesus is to truly know the Father. And you can only know the Father through knowing Jesus. The fact that they can't see that Jesus reveals the Father is a sign that they don't actually know God. This is backed up by Jesus' words back in chapter 6, verse 44. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them, and I'll raise them up at the last day. This is true of all people who claim to know God, but who don't know Jesus. Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus might say they know God, but if they reject Jesus as the eternal son, they don't know God. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Christadelphians cannot know God if they reject Jesus as actually being God rather than just a lesser divine being, perhaps a created divine being. You see, if people refuse to believe in God on the terms that Jesus sets, then they don't really know the Father at all and they are in darkness. Now, that sounds really weird for me to say that and to hear me saying that. This is because Jesus says it. This is not me just making it up. These are the words of Jesus. And that leads to our final aspect of being in the dark. It means to be of this world and in rebellion against God and thus cut off from him due to sin. Have a look at verses 21 to 24. 
Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you'll look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. When Jesus is saying he's going away, he means that he's returning to the Father's side in heaven and the Jews cannot follow him. And the reason they can't follow him is because of their sin. They belong to this fallen world that God has handed over to judgment and corruption. Sin creates a barrier between humans and their creator. And so to be in the dark is to be ruled by sin. The Jews need the light of life, just like we need the light of life. Without it, we can't know God. We can't know life. We can't have our sin dealt with. We, we can't know true life in this world and everlasting life in the world to come. So what's the solution? How do we escape the dark? I expect most of you here know the answer is Jesus, right? But I think it's worthwhile looking at how Jesus himself gives the answer in this particular passage. Listen to what he says in verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. This is our next main point. The ultimate demonstration that Jesus is the light is his exaltation on the cross. I love how Jesus uses a really clever phrase here. When he says lifted up, it could also mean exalted. The word works in both ways. And, and so maybe some of his hearers are thinking, oh, he's talking about a future time when he'll be enthroned as the king in Jerusalem. However, he means to be literally lifted up on a wooden cross where he will die. Yet it works on both levels because Jesus saying that his death when he's lifted up on the cross is in fact his exaltation. It is his glorification. You know, we're used to thinking about Jesus' glory in terms of his miracles, maybe the the transfiguration, his resurrection, his appearances to the disciples after his resurrection. We might even think about his ascension up into heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, John, who's written this book, would agree with all of that. He says, yes, that's true. I mean, after all, he says that the signs or miracles of Jesus reveal his glory. But John does something unique. You see, he wants us to see another way in which Jesus' glory is revealed. It's in his death upon the cross. Now, when we consider Jesus nailed to the cross, bleeding, dying, we're actually considering his exaltation and his glorification. But it almost feels wrong to think that, doesn't it? I mean, it's like... Surely the crucifixion is is a moment of of weakness and shame and misery and defeat. Yes, it is, and that's the point, because we're considering who Jesus is. We learn about him perfectly at the cross. He's the eternal God who took on flesh, who took on human weakness and experienced the weakness and suffering of human existence. He humbled himself to live as a servant of all who showed grace and mercy to those in need. 
And as much as we see Christ's glory in his deeds of power, we also see it in his deeds of love and humility, in his character. He would rather be wronged than to wrong someone else. He would reveal his supremacy by being the servant of all. And that was supremely revealed in his death. The pillar of fire in the wilderness and the suffering man on the cross are both glorious revelations of God's light. Here is the creator who not only guides his people, but who offers his own life for his people so that they might live. This moment of weakness reveals Christ's power, since rather than using his power to save himself, he relinquished it to save us. This moment of shame reveals Christ's honour, since rather than bringing glory to himself, wanting everyone to look at him and praise him on the cross, he took upon our shame so that we might be freed from disgrace. In his moment of defeat, Christ revealed his obedience to the Father, since rather than win on human terms, he allowed himself to be defeated so that God could have the victory over sin, death, and the devil. The cross is the ultimate revelation of who God is. He is a just God who must punish sin, and he does punish sin at the cross. But he's also a merciful God because he bears that punishment within himself so that we can be forgiven. That's the glory of God. He is a God who deserves our obedience and our total submission, yet he chooses to serve us so that the disobedient might be redeemed. He's a patient God who gives us time to come to repentance rather than wiping us all out as we deserve. This is his glory. This is how the cross reveals that Jesus is who he says he is. He tells the Jew that he, Jews that he is the life-giving light of the world. He is the servant who has come to save people. And so his glory shines through at the cross and fills our hearts if we believe in him. And we know that Jesus succeeded in his mission because three days later he was raised up to new life, wasn't he? In fact, listen to the prophetic words of the prophet Isaiah. He was about 700 years before Jesus, talking about a servant of God who would suffer for the people. Isaiah wrote, After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus has seen the light of life in his resurrection because he actually is the life-giving light. And he shares that life with all who will come to him in repentance and faith. In John chapter 8, Jesus knows what lies ahead. He tells the Jews listening to him that the cross will reveal who he truly is and that his testimony about himself was right all along. And so whether they see this at the point of their own conversion and the Jews would look back with joy or perhaps on the final day of judgment when they would look back with horror, either way, they would know that the cross was where Jesus' glory was truly revealed. Jesus brings life-giving light to those who need to know God. Let me read out verse 12 again. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To follow Jesus is to put your faith in him, 
to trust that he is the, the son of God, God the son, come to earth to bring life. It's to have faith that he casts out the darkness of our sin so that we can walk in the light and have life. We all need to do this because none of us can know God apart from faith in Jesus. And so to drive this home, I want us to think about how Jesus helps us like sunlight helps the earth. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then I hope this list will motivate you to think about him more, to maybe even put your faith in him as your saviour. If you are a follower of Jesus, then I hope this list will encourage you, will help you to keep persevering in following Jesus, trusting in him. So on to our final point. I tried to resist comparing Jesus, the son who gives light, to sunlight from the sun, because I didn't want to confuse you with the S-O-N and the S-U-N. We'll see how we go. Hopefully it'll be clear enough, because I just felt the parallels were too good to waste. So Jesus shines light so we can see the truth, so we can have true life, and so we can truly know God, because it helps to have the light on. So the sun up in the sky shines light on the earth so that we can physically see. Jesus shines light so we can see the truth, so we can spiritually see. He helps us to not walk in darkness by providing us with moral guidance, wisdom. And he can do this because he's actually outside of our world, shining a light into the world. He's not someone else on our level trying to help us to see because he's from outside. So as you read the Bible, faith in Jesus will help you to properly understand the Bible and to see more clearly how God wants you to live. He will help you to see just how dark and corrupt this world truly is, which will help you to live as a child of the light. The sun up in the sky shines light on the earth, which helps life to thrive. You know, plants with that whole photosynthesis stuff. Uh, we get our vitamin D out in the sunshine, stay warm. The sun even creates weather patterns so that life can thrive. Well, Jesus shines light so we can have true life. His light casts out the darkness in our hearts. And it's light from heaven, which means it gives us eternal life. It's worth noting that in John's Gospel, we often see this link between light and life. And they're always a gift from God. We could easily misread verse 12. Why don't you have a look at it again? We could misread it as thinking that Jesus wants us to put our effort into following him. So as long as we keep working hard on following him, then we'll have the light of life. But if we stray, if we stumble, well, then we lose the light. But the rest of this passage... In fact, the rest of John's gospel shows us that Jesus will keep us in this light. So even if we stumble and sin, even if we wander off track, Jesus will keep shining the light on us and keep us in our salvation. Even if we struggle to understand the Bible, we we have doubts, we feel like we can't see clearly, that, that things seem a little bit dark, well, Jesus will keep shining that light. The light of life is not about us seeing everything perfectly, but knowing that Jesus will see you through to the next life. And finally, the sun up in the sky shines light on the earth and reveals itself to us. Jesus shines light so we can truly know God. Now, I've got a quick science illustration here. So for all of my friends who love science, you know who you are. This is for you. Without sunlight, we wouldn't know that the sun is there. Now, of course, that makes sense, doesn't it? 
But also, did you know we can do spectral analysis of sunlight? We can use different instruments to, to measure the wavelength, and that can help us to understand the composition of the sun. In fact, astronomers can look at distant starlight and figure out what different stars are made up of, what sorts of gases are in there, even how old they are, how, based on how the wavelengths behave, what it looks like. They can study it. And so in a similar way, Jesus doesn't just show us that God is there. He actually shows us who God is. He helps us to know God, to know things about him, but to also know him personally. This is summed up really well in John 17, verse 3, when Jesus is praying to the Father, he says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is the life-giving light of this world because he has come into the world from the Father. He illuminates the truth about reality. He brings light and life to those who are in the dark and he makes God truly known. It helps to have the light on. So put your trust in Jesus who gives us that light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for sending Jesus into this world to cast out our darkness so that we might truly know you. I pray for each one of us that we would walk into your light, we would follow Jesus all the days of our life, knowing that he is the one who gives us life. Amen.